Harlot Podcast, deconstructing foiling, flow, and the learning process with your host, Eric Antonsen. What's up, folks? Thank you for tuning in to the Progression Project Podcast. This is an exciting one. Um, I'm so frothy right now. First off, today's guest is Cliffy from Unifoil. He is probably the most influential designer in our space. Um, High Aspect and Dihedral, I believe both first came from Cliffy um, with the Hyper and the Vortex fantastic foils both of them and they both have held up incredibly well if you think about other foils that were designed four years ago i don't think there are two other foils that are still holding up as well as those and now working with adam bennett's they have done the viper which is one of the best surf foils out there i am frothing on it i love it as soon as there's energy that's all i want to be on right now um yeah, and it's fantastic. Uh, we cover everything in this podcast uh, that you would think that we would cover, how Cliffy approaches design, um, what he thinks about um, the direction of where we're headed, things that he's going to try in the near future, uh, mass efficiency versus stiffness. That's a good conversation. So anyways, you guys are going to love this show. And what I'm most excited about with this show is that at the end, I was joking around and you'll you'll hear it at the end of the show. So it's two parts, but uh, at the end of part one, I'm joking around and I say something to the effect of, you know, let me know if you ever want to design a foil together. I think it'd be a super fun project. I'd be stoked on it. And I thought I was going to get shot down right away, but Cliffy was kind of into it. So we tabled the conversation. Um, the part one was recorded about a week and a half before part two, had some conversations on the side in between the two parts, and then ha- part two happened. So you guys need to listen. I'm not going to spoil it now, but I will say that it's going to be incredibly exciting and something that I think that everyone listening will benefit from. So yeah, check it out. All right, before we dive in, a couple thoughts on what I've been up to. First off, today, yesterday was my first day off in about five, four to five weeks. It has been just pumping. Florida has been on a run. We did the Costa Rica trip. And then our end of February, March has just been basically two to four feet in pretty clean conditions uh, for like a month now. And we've been doing, my buddy Dave and I, Brian, Pedigo, like we've been in the water just an incredible amount. I've done basically two a days for a month, which is insane. So tired. And and yesterday just had to take a day off. Today I'm taking a day off too, give my body some time to rest. But um, it has been probably my best month of learning that I've had in, in over a year. And it's, um, what are the big themes? The big themes are, I think I've figured out the way that I like to foil, which is not as aggressive as it was probably a year ago. I mean, my objectives are um, maintaining speed and and really cultivating lines, 
um, putting together longer runs and with without bobbles and trying to go as, as fast as possible and bank as hard as possible. And I really credit starting to ride. And Adam was, you know, kind of lobbied for a little while to start riding longer masts. And I have, and that's really opened up the game that I, that I enjoy the most, which is, um, you know, hard snowboard groomer type turns as hard as I can turn and as tight as I can turn and going as fast as I possibly can. And so that's been incredibly fun. I just feel like I've gotten to, to dial in on that. The board, the MJ that I've been working on, I'm testing it in different constructions right now and, and I'm settled on what that is. And that that's been fantastic. It's been amazing. Um, I'll post some stuff up here pretty soon about if anyone wants to order that, I'll start doing a couple batches of them. It's, um, it's my favorite board that I've written. It's the most well-rounded board. There are boards that are better at specific things, but this does everything. And so that's what I wanted. I wanted a, a board that was great on touchdowns, um, had the swing weight that I wanted, could still work in the pocket. I like the rails and the foam off the water. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's my favorite right now, all around her. And it doesn't really compromise anywhere, which I like. Uh, and then runners and the the whole thing, the runners, what Kahi, what Simeon, what James Casey, Kane have been telling me has just started to come to, to fruition here, which is, you know, I was always looking at runners as a cardio game. And now with the efficiency of like the 1095 and the way that I'm seeing energy in the ocean, it's, it's no longer about cardio. It's basically a strategy game and just being able to keep locked into that flow state and not not letting your mind wander knowing where the energy is making smart decisions powering up uh keeping your speed so that's fantastic and actually pedagogy's coming on the show i hope this week and we are going to do a whole hour on what we've learned about shore runners which is a little different than downwind so we're going to do a whole hour on shore runners and I think that you guys are going to like that, especially, you know, a lot of folks on the East Coast or in places, you know, California, where you maybe have more shore running type conditions than you do downwind conditions. Um, you know, all of my runs lately are basically, um, you know, two to 3.7 miles. And um, usually other stopping because we get to the end point now, you know. Um, so that's just fantastic. I'm loving it. And some of the guys here are starting to to get better at it. We'll have a pretty good crew here, I think. Um, the foil race just happened. Uh, props to, you know, Austin Tovey and, and Mike Pedigo, the crew here. Mateo won it. Good job, Mateo. Noah took down the expression session with a backflip, which was insane. I would have liked to see, though, like uh, from what I was watching, like pocket surfing be seen a little differently from from talking to some of the guys down there. You know, like, I, I don't know if I um, love the kind of open face Ollie stuff as I'm a surfer. I like hard turns and critical things in the pocket. And I think that's where surfing landed too, right? I mean, if you think about like the early air days, like you don't get scored for for that kind of stuff anymore. Not taking away anything from what Noah did. Noah's a beast and being able to do a backflip and, and continue to go no matter what is, is insane and something I'll probably never be able to do. But um you know, critical turns in the pocket are pretty rad too. So I'm excited for the first surf contest to happen in foiling. I think it's going to be unreal, but all right, let's, uh, let's dive in, take uh, stay tuned for the podcast with Pedigo on runners and 
um, give me your thoughts on the show uh, and and what the project's going to be that's going to happen. I'm not going to spoil it right now, but it's going to be insane. I'm super psyched, probably more excited than I've been in, in the foiling space in a long time, which says a lot because I'm always psyched. So thank you guys for all of the uh, the messages. And and uh, I love it if, if it's been an extra week without a show coming out, I start getting tons of DMs about I'm missing the show. I'm missing the show. So it makes me feel like you guys like it. And I appreciate that. And, a couple of people actually this week said that it has a positive effect on their lives and has helped out in other aspects too, which I think is, is rad. You know, I, um, you know, I look at foiling time in the ocean generally as, um, you know, the lessons we learn apply across all aspects of life and try to bring that into the show a little bit. And it's cool that some people are, are seeing that. So thank you guys and be well. Cliffy, thanks for coming back on the show, man. It's been a bit. Awesome, yeah, it's been a while, eh? Yeah, how you been? Yeah, can't complain. It's uh, busy, but um, carrying on. Well, I should start this by saying that I've always been a huge fan, and I think it's hilarious that the first foiled again meme that they kind of got on me about was about how much I talked about the Uni 190 and how much I love your design <laughs> stuff, so... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, Eric's not being paid for that, eh? <laughs> nope. Not getting paid. I just liked it. You're, you're so ahead of the time. You know, like, I guess where I want to start this is three or four years ago, when you designed the Hyper and the Vortex, you hit on two things that have become huge industry design themes, high aspect and dihedral. Yeah. Where did the inspiration come from for both of those? And I think you were the first to do both. I mean, from my recollection, maybe there's someone else out there, but I mean, those are two groundbreaking designs started by you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that vortex, uh, as we mentioned, that first podcast we did a couple of years back, that was supposed to be a beginner foil. And I thought, well, let me put in a, di- a bit of dihedral because that will add a bit of stability. And that foil turned out to be a, you know, it's pretty much a, it set the precedent for surf foils. And when the second one was released, the the Vortex 150, it really unlocked uh, a lot of foilist potential where they could express a, a lot of maneuvers that weren't possible on other foils because it had the speed, it had the glide. So yeah, it, it, was, it was a great foil to be a part of and to bring out. In that foil, like it, it's still, to this day, the design behind that. So I have the stealth 175, 150, and then the vortex 150 still probably my, my favorite good surf foil. And that it's stood up over the last four years with all of the innovation that's happened. It's pretty incredible. You've been, watching, some, the of, you've been watching the vids of um, Tomo, Tomo Hill. Yeah. Ripping. I mean, I don't know how long he's been foiling for, but it seems like he's late to the party and he, he picked up one of these Vortex 150 and he's like, this thing is incredible. And I mean, he rips on the thing. I think for the, the, one of the things that I remember when Misa got his one and he unlocked the potential of the foil and he showed how, even though it's a low aspect foil, he unlo- unlocked the means to be able to pump that foil because it's not an easy foil to pump. No. And by keeping it high in the water, high cadence pumps, you know, he showed that it was possible. But yeah, yeah. The the role the the I actually looking at Tom 
or I mean, any of the guys coming from shortboarding into foiling, it is the most similar to surf wading that I've experienced. And I think that is why guys can mm-hmm. gravitate towards it very fast. You know, it's, it rolls quickly. It's kind of under your feet all the time. It's really easy in the white water writes itself super easy. It's always back under your feet. You know, like as I have progressed in foiling, I now, I like foils that pump very well. And I'm used to handling the delay of the more high aspect foils, but you put a vortex under your feet and it's still incredibly surfy. We, I was just actually down in Costa Rica with a buddy, his favorite foil is the 150 vortex. And we were on that predominantly for a whole week in good surf. It was awesome. And the Viper 152, but a lot of vortex in there. It was amazing. Well, the vortex is what set the precedent for, for, for the basis on, on designing the Vipers. Yep. When, when Adam got that, that 150 vortex, I mean, he absolutely ripped on it. And yeah, that's just the basis on, on how we got going with the Vipers. It was a, a question of, can we make it a little bit user-friendly for the masses to be able to pump, but still not lose that, that feel that you get from the Vortex? Because it really is, it's a nice rail-to-rail feel. So yeah, that's pretty much how we got started on, on the Vipers. Talk about that. I think, oh, go ahead. I think, I think what it was, Adam was getting going in bigger and bigger waves. And he was like, listen... Is it possible to make a smaller one, you know, like a 125 vortex or a 130 vortex? And I think that's how, how the whole collaboration started. I was like, I need a smaller foil. I was like, okay, well, let me see what I can do. <laughs> I can't even remember. It's so long ago. So we're about to talk a whole lot about the Viper and your design inspiration over the last few years. But before we jump into that, let, let me get something out of the way here. Why did it take so long to get the Vipers out? I mean, I think oh. that... You know, like that was a brutal year for someone like me who was super stoked to get on them. And now I'm on them. I love them. But what happened? We we upset a lot of people. And just to quickly, I mean, Adam did talk about it in in his podcast. It was, it's just unfortunate timing. It was unfortunate um, things that happened in manufacture. We moved manufacturing to Australia and just due diligence wasn't done. Moving to Australia, coming up with a new design, releasing the foil before it wasn't ready. That, that in my opinion was, but I mean, Adam was excited, you know, everyone was so excited about this foil and uh, yeah, it disappointed a lot of people. A lot of people got really upset about it and uh, I can't blame them. You know, when you're fighting for a foil and you're seeing Adam rip, it's it, it was uh, extremely frustrating for myself not to be able to get these foils out there. But it was from COVID, obviously, as we moved to Australian manufacture, the lockdown started there. I think they were in lockdown for something like four months, which really slowed things down. Like I said, due diligence wasn't done. The, the amount of production that we needed for the orders was unobtainable. So that was also a huge frustration. So... <laughs> Yeah, a lot of people have just had to wait. And now finally that they are coming out, the foil is starting to speak for itself. So, you know, we're really happy where we are now because we're making the best parts that we've ever made yet. The quality on this production is is phenomenal. You know, we had a lot of um, issues with manufacture. It's There's one thing about making a few foils. You know, you can make them beautiful. You can spend the time on them. But then try and do high numbers. It's it's a total different kettle of fish. Production is a it's a complete different. It's a monster, really. It is. Well, I will say that Unifoil. You guys just sent me a whole kit to test, which obviously I'm super grateful for. And it's amazing. And 
The difference between the foils that were made at the old factory. So the, yes. you know, and I think all your stuff's coming out of the new factory now. So the first foils that I got came from an old factory. The construction on the new, the Vipers is so much stronger. There's zero flex in it. And yeah. it was really interesting because I went back and forth. I spent about a month going back and forth between Hyper 150, 170, Viper 150, 170, and Vortex 150. And the difference in feel because of the manufacturing is huge. And I'm really stoked on that because that's a direction that, you know, I've been testing a lot. And we're going to talk about this later in the show, but I've been testing a lot of, you know, third party masts right now. And, you know, like the stiffer, the setup for me now, the more I can trust it, the harder I can push, even if there are some subtle, you know, drawbacks in, in, you know, efficiency, I can still surf at a higher level with something more efficient. And so the direction that your construction has gone in is really good. makes me super stoked on Unifoil and then hopefully everything else in the future becoming much more robust. Yeah. So, so one of the, the things that I've always chased is all out performance. So it's all, you know, it's about the, the, the shortest cord, the thinnest cord. I mean, our masks are half inch thick. There's not many other guys who attempt to do that because it's extremely difficult to bring out a thick mast is, you know, it's not really that difficult. I mean, it's like asking your five-year-old to draw a son with a, with a crayon. It's, it's not something that's difficult. It's not challenging. It's going to thinner, tighter is challenging. Going to a, a big fat mast is like, you know, it's not, there's no challenge there. You're not chasing the um, high performance aspect of it. However, like you say, the stiffness for some people is, is very important. And this reminds me of when I used to skateboard 20 years ago where a, a friend of mine had the skateboard that was so loose. The trucks were so, so loose. I mean, I couldn't even stand it. I was like, your, your board's broken. But that's what he wanted and that's what he rode. So some guys can manage that. And now my foiling is getting that little bit better where uh, I don't mind that um, that flex in the mast. Um, I'm at the stage now where I compensate for it and, and, I, and I, if anything, I like it. But as you say, some guys like that hard, stiff mast because it enables you to pump. My pumping is useless. You know, I can pump 20 meters and I'm had enough. <laughs> so, so, so it all depends on, on what you're chasing. What is your objective? Well, if a super stiff mast is your objective and that's what you want, then yeah, you know, then, you know, that's what you've got to chase. Um, if it's all out performance, then you have to start chasing thinner, harder materials. And that's what we've been trying to do. However, we also have to listen to the market. And if the market's saying um, all out drag is not the optimum or not the ultimate thing that we're chasing, if we're chasing stiffness, then we have to listen to that. So yeah, watch the space. That's, that's what I can say for now. So what I would say is that it, it de- depends on how you define performance. If performance is efficiency and you're, mostly, and you're mostly winging, you know, I, I don't know if it's as important as, and now I'm saying that as a wing coop, no one get mad at me. I'm probably missing a huge portion of people's thoughts there. But for me in the surf, it's really about being able to go rail to rail and know when the foil is going to push and know that when I give input, that input's coming right back. And yes. I will say this by saying that your master super stiff. Like the, I was testing the 750 and the 830 over the last little bit. And from where they were, the last unifoil setup I had, which was very early on, 
it is night and day difference in stiffness and you haven't given up any of that performance. It's super, it's super efficient. So I think that's beautiful. The thing that since we're talking mass now, let's just stay here. It's been very interesting for me. So I have been testing setups on the stock mast that a foil comes with the no limits and the Sadrus. And so I have been able to ride gear exact same tuning, you know, same front wing, same tail, same fuse length, same everything, same position with yeah, three different masks. Yep. Just mass. And to yeah. feel how much different that can make a foils feel has been mind blowing where mm-hmm. it's almost like, and I've said this on the show before in, in an interlude the other day, but there's a single fin stability or instability that can happen. And that's another thing about trust. Now you can get some vent issues. You can get some breaching issues. So at speed ranges, it's, it's not all the same, but the stability from a mast is actually kind of in an interesting thing and the ability to then push and trust. And I'd like to get your thoughts on the mast relationship to the foil and how much of a lifting effect that has in turns, what it's doing in turns. Maybe you can educate the audience as far as how a mast through pumping to turning, winging, how that is affecting the ride and the, the hydrodynamics of a foil setup. So on, on surf foiling, it's different because you don't have the means to be able to twist the mast as much as you do, for example, with, with, with a kite or with a wind, uh, wind wing. So with a wind wing, when you're driving upwind, you can actually stall that mast very easily. If you snap it sideways, it stalls because the mast cord is so short. Whereas when you go to a, a, a mast that has a, a much deeper cord, it's way more difficult to, to stall it. So, but the upwind angle on a very short cord mast is, and the drag is way better. So you can go to, at a much steeper um, angle and you can go, you can obviously go a lot faster. So again, it boils down to what are you trying to achieve? What are you trying to do? With, with terms to drag, if you're only cruising at around 20, 25 k's an hour, the mass thickness, it, it doesn't have that huge amount of difference um, on the whole setup. You know, if you're going to go play in the surf and you're going to be riding a few waves that are average size, no, the, the mass is not going to be a, a, a critical aspect in, in the whole um, package. However, if you're going to go for a 10 k downwind, and you've got an extra 5% drag, and your mate's got the exact same setup, and he's got a fat mast on, you know, he's going to drag way behind you because you add that 5% up over a few kilometers, it makes a massive difference. And th- that is ultimately the difference between the two is, are you chasing all-out performance? If you are, then you make a little bit of a compromise for thickness in your mast. If you're not too worried about it and you want to have that stiff feeling, that connectedness to the foil, then going to a thicker mast, you know, if that's, if that's what you're after, then it'll work. It's so, so I'm not sure that I fully agree in the surf in that where I feel the difference in the slower masts is on the pump. So it, there's an efficiency in, you know, a turn and how fast I'm coming back into the whitewater or finishing a turn or how far I can carry something out into the flats. I mean, that's something I noticed is like, I like long carry distances, like a, an efficient mast lets you get farther ahead of the wave and then you can come back up at it a little bit harder. But the real difference is in pump efficiency. 
And a little bit of efficiency difference on the pump makes a very big difference because you're, you're working with within like a cardio range and it goes to ride time. It goes to, you know, feel on the next wave if, if you're getting yourself tired out. And there is a huge difference in covering distance on the pump with smaller, more efficient masts and their overall cardio. And then also speed for connections, which makes a big difference. Like I really do notice that like certain masts that are super fast, you can relax into the pump a lot more and carry it out. And and I don't know if it's, you know, 3%, 5%, whatever it is, but it's noticeable in the athleticism of, of moving around in the surf. But so on, on the face of the wave, which do you prefer? Do you prefer going faster and, or do you prefer the, the stiffness of the mast? I want both. Between the thick mast? Yeah, I would like to have a thin mast that is incredibly stiff. But when you on the pump, you want a really stiff mast? Yeah, it actually creates more efficiency, I think, on the pump in that every time so you get like a little bobble on the pump, it yeah. kills the next pump because because that next pump becomes more about recentering. And so if you're incredibly stable on the pump, like even a less efficient foil. So like right now with the 150, which has the 150 Hyper versus the 150 Viper, because those come from the two different factories, the old factory and the new factory, the flex on the Hyper will a lot of times the second pump, you know, you'll hit a piece of chop or you're not centered on the first one. The second one isn't about drive. It's more about recentering and stability where on the Viper it's always under my feet. So it's not as efficient on the pump, but it's not that big of a difference because it's always right there. So you can always trust it. I totally agree with you. And, and the reason why I say that is because I had a customer send me his uh, 190 hyper because this is happening and he asked me if I could tune it for him. Mm-hmm. And I took it out towing <clears throat> and I pumped this. And even though my pumping is terrible, I can still get, you know, 20, 30 meters, whatever it is. And, you know, because I'm 105, 103 kilos, I was like, you know, it's not too bad for being on a 190. And then I pulled out the 190 Viper and I could pump it just as far. Yep. And even though the Hyper's more efficient, it's got less drag, I could pump the, the, the Viper just as far just because it felt – you feel connected to that foil. You feel the hyper is a bit of a beast, whereas uh, it sort of goes where it wants to and you kind of go along for the ride. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a little bit more of a difficult foil to ride. But with the Viper, you feel that it's an extension of your body. It's, so, yeah, I totally agree with what you're saying. With Control is just as important as efficiency. Yep. 100%. Yep. And so, uh, you know, being able to have both is the optimal. I mean, at, we'll have that soon, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, well, it's also what, what what materials you have available to to, to work with, and mm-hmm. that's that's where we we are at at the moment is sourcing materials that we can continue to push um, our limits as to what products we can make, and that is more of a challenge than you realize. You know, it's not just a point of going down to your local hardware and buying whatever you need. You know, when composites, it's not that easy just to be able to pick up a roll of X, Y, Z. It's not easy. They start getting very technical on what's been used for and permits and all that kind of stuff. And then obviously the price as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, we continue to, to try our best to source the best um, materials available at, at our disposal. So let's switch gears here and let's start talking about design. I mean, you are known as, you know, thought leader in design in the foil space pioneer. And now you've watched this market 
grow and change over the last four years. How have your ideas on designing foils changed since the Vortex and the Hyper? Again, it's all about, for me personally, it's all about performance. And even though I've had an extremely frustrating past year and a bit, because, you know, everything's completely slowed down at Uniform. So, you know, to continue developing has been very difficult. But in terms of the future and looking at where hydrofoils have come from in the past four years and where they're going, <clears throat> I still say it's all about efficiency. The more efficient your foil is, the more fun you're going to have on it. And it's just continuing to push the boundaries of, like I say, what, what materials are available. And depending on what materials are available, depends on what you can make. So, yeah, I mean, that's the way I see it. It's are there any foils when you look at the market right now that you're intrigued by? You know, it seems like everyone's upping their game right now. A lot of new stuff coming out. Anything that that you didn't see coming that you're like, oh, wow, that's an interesting idea. Uh, yeah, there's a mono wing that's out. I don't know who makes it. I've only just seen pictures of it. And it looks like a fun wing. It's, it's totally inefficient, but it looks like you'll have such a blast on it because it looks like it's a wing that you can go out and just play with and just have really good fun with it. I'd never thought that someone would be able to get a wing that would work well because of the pure cord length of it. You need to have really long cord lengths to have enough reflex in, in, the, in the cord to stop it from pitching forward and to give you enough stability. But uh, I see someone's done it and, you know, kudos to them because it's not an easy wing to do. It's, uh, I would lo love to ride it just to see what it's like. But um, yeah, well done to, uh, sorry, I don't even know who, who makes it. I've only just seen pictures of the guys riding it on, on, on Instagram and it looks like it's really good fun. Did you see that someone did a bi wing? I like don't know uh, What's that? From, from, uh, I don't know how you pronounce it. It's Haru or something. Yeah. Yeah. From, yeah. What do you think about that? Is that a way to shorten span and uh, get more lifting surface? It's, it's one of those things that you look at and you go, yes, this makes sense. But the moment you put one wing on top of the other one, you increase your drag tremendously. And that's because you're creating a venturi effect. So ideally you want to put the one wing behind the other wing. Mm -hmm. So you can see the one wing has a little bit of rake in it and the other one slopes a little bit forwards and that's to try and prevent because they're pretty much on top of each other. So if you have your bottom wing a little bit behind your front wing, so your front wing's in front, then you, you mitigate that effect of having the ventry. Because uh, if you have that ventry effect, your drag goes up hugely. So, yeah, it's it's not an easy one to pull off that it's going to be efficient. Bi wings are not more efficient than single wings. Gotcha. Well, let's dive into the Viper. I want to understand the process. You know, when I think about designing foils and I spend a lot of time thinking about foils and what I want. Coming up with ideas. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Mind surfing is how I go to bed every night and then I get myself excited and I don't fall asleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I look at designing, I'm always thinking that everything's a trade. You know, there's no, no free lunches. And so you have to decide what your design requirements are going to be, what you're optimizing for. When you started, yeah, when you started with the Viper, what were your, what were you optimizing for? You touched on it a touch earlier, but let's get more granular. What were you optimizing for? Where were you willing to sacrifice a little bit? And you know, how, what was that iterative process? 
Well, it was 100% based on um, feedback from Adam. That ring was 100% on, I want to do X, Y, and Z, and I tried my best to um, um, produce a foil that ticked those boxes for him. And, and what so, were those boxes? Oh, man, there's a long list. <laughs> <laughs> Adam was very pedantic. What's the word? He, he was very specific on some things, you know, uh, some of the foils that, that, that I sent him was like, no, 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 wrong. And there were quite a few iterations that we had to make to, to be able to get to a point where it was like, okay, I like this. Because you can't just take a foil and scale it big and scale it small and it works. So I think we started on the small side first and then we worked towards the bigger side to the bigger sizes. And thanks to the bigger sizes, it's like, no, no, it needs to go faster. So obviously you've got more drag and more surface area and so on the bigger sizes, um, just lowering the parasitic drag increased its efficiency quite a bit. And then in terms of feel, that was also big. The, the, the differences between the two foils, I'm talking about the, the, the 190 specifically, there, there were two that we made that were so close to each other, but when you rode them back to back and if you had spent enough time in them, you could start to feel the difference between the two, even though the difference was so little. But yeah, there, there, were, there were a lot of things that we had to meet to to get those foils right. I mean, yeah. I mean, you're talking, you know, for example, the 130, Adam Rodin goes, no, it's too fast. And I'm like, how can it be too fast? You know, I mean, that's what you want. You want a small foil to be fast. He's like, no, you outrun the wave. You can't come back. And when you come back and you hit the white water, you stall the foil and, you know, it's over. So I was like, oh, well, makes 100% sense. So slowed that foil down a little bit. Because remember, it's a surf foil. So it wasn't entirely for um, big wave bombing down, you know, at high speed. It, it, was, it was meant to hit um, the white water. So, yeah, I had to make quite a few iterations to, to um, try and tick all the boxes. It also looks like you changed relative cord as you moved through the line as well. Something I've been thinking about a lot in foil design is, you know, having a little bit more cord at the center and then thinning that out from the back of the foil. And it looks like you did that on the Viper and from the 150 to the ones, I don't have the 190, but from the 150 to the 170, it looks like the, the shape of the foil the, has changed a little bit. It's, yeah, it, it's marginal. But what happens is when you put rake into the foil, so in other words, your tip is further back than your root, mm -hmm. then you increase its, its stability a bit. Whereas if you have a quite a straight foil, it, it tends to turn a bit easier. And then if you drop the tips, again, you create a little bit of instability where the foil becomes a little bit more unstable, so it turns easier. So just by tweaking those, moving it forwards and backwards, you can get to a sweet spot where, you, where you're happy with how it's turning. And the foil seems to vent well also, mm. even with the downturn tips a little bit. And usually those two things don't go hand in my experience. Usually foils that have a little bit of, you know, like uh, downturn tips. Like if you look yeah. at Armstrong, you know, really bad in, in far as venting goes, at least until their high aspect line, you know, how do you call for that? I've never ridden one, so I don't know how they ride. I've never felt one, never seen one. So, but I mean, I've just heard riders saying that they don't handle the, the venting very well. But I mean, the Unifoil since day one, it was only the one foil that, that couldn't vent, which is our beginner range, the orbits. 
but yeah, pretty much all our foils are you've been able to stick the tips out and carry on. And, it's, and what makes that possible? There's a few things. <laughs> <laughs> That's where we're at then. The yeah, you, can, you, can, you can put in a bit of a twist on the foil so that the, the very tips aren't loaded. So that'll prevent it also from venting. You know, that's actually an interesting point. That's something that I have just figured out. I have been riding a Takuma 1095 a good bit. I think that's a a really good foil right now. And it tends to be a little bit worse in vent than some other foils I ride. And I tend to vent a whole lot on front side bottom turns or, or backside, you know, toe side cutbacks when you're coming back hard. And I have figured out in the last few weeks there's like a body mechanic where as soon as I can feel the slip happening from the vent, I basically just give up all of my weight. I just kind of pull up my feet just a little bit and the foil will reset right away. And I won't breach in the same way as if I kept that turn loaded. And so what you're saying there is that by, yeah, yeah, exactly what I'm doing. And I realized in breaking down video the other day, it's just something that like, I kind of have this, it's almost like a reaction. I feel it. And then I just allow the foil to, to turn without any body weight on it. So you're straightening out the turn in a little bit because your center of gravity is no longer, you know, carrying the turn through but you won't breach and it's a pretty cool thing. So you can do the same thing through twisting the wings. I know like there's a bunch of foils that have twisted wings now from uh, talking to, to some people about that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not great for, for drag, but uh, in terms of, uh, again, it's, it's, we're talking about that compromise of you, you take some here and you got to give some there. Right. It's all about that. balance. So yeah, putting a bit of twist in the ring slows it down a bit. Interesting. Hmm. And then in, allows you. So it seems to me, like you said earlier, that dihedral should make for a very stable foil. But in my experience, those are the foils that I can turn the hardest. They roll, they come right back under my feet. Is that because the stability that they are providing is actually allowing the wing to write itself back to center faster? That's what I would say. Yes. Okay. But what you also realize is that the tips, you know, from the part or halfway through the wing that's now pointing downwards, that's now creating your um, maneuverability. So your center of your wing is creating your uh, stability, mm-hmm. whereas your tips are creating your, your uh, unstableness so, so the foil can still turn nicely. So taken at an extreme, if you had a substantially, say, 25, 30% angle, degree angle, of anhedral, that foil would be incredibly unstable and opposite dihedral, that stable, that foil would be incredibly stable. Is that correct? correct? Interesting. Correct. Yeah. A lot of people ask, why didn't you put more dihedral in the wing? And the, some, the quickest answer is because you can't turn it. And the thing just wants to carry on in a straight line. So, so I've never made one with, with that sort of dihedral in it. I've just taken the, that for for fact. And, you know, it makes sense to me, you know, from flying radio control airplanes, you know, that's one of the first things you do as a beginner is you fly an aircraft that has a lot of dihedral in the wings because it's got the ability to, to self-right. So it, I can see that for that exact reason, you know, the foils will be exactly the same. So it's super interesting from a rider perspective that self-writing mm-hmm is allowing the foil to actually go rail to rail much faster because it's, it wants to ride itself, which means that it wants to push itself back under your feet and then you can swing it to the other side much faster. So it's almost like 
Only, only if your, only if your tips, only if the second half of your wing comes back down. If your wing just has dihedral end, uh, then no, I wouldn't say so because I would say you're going to now turn into a turn, and the foil's going to want to go straight. So only because the other half of the wing is now starting to swoop downwards, mm-hmm. and that is allowing it to, to, you know, to be maneuverable and to come back under your feet. If you had just dihedral, no, then I would say you're going to go into a, a bottom turn or whatever turn, and the force is going to carry on straight, and you're going to go falling off whichever side. Interesting. That's, that's the way I. That's the way I see it. And that's what I see is going to happen with the wing with just dihedral. Well, Never tried it. But yeah, that's my theory. And that makes a lot of sense because when I think about foiling the Viper, so the Viper 150, when I was in bigger surf, one of the things that I really liked about it, and I call it being deliberate, is that the foil, you kind of have to push the foil around. It rolls into turns easily, but then yeah. it needs some push. It, it, it doesn't feel like it's going to do whatever it wants. It feels like it likes a lot of input, but then it's going to do exactly what you want it to do. And yes. it holds so hard in a turn and maybe yes. that has something to do with the anhedral, but there's like no slippage. There was no turn where I could over push the foil where on the yeah. vortex a little bit, sometimes I'd feel like getting somewhat squirrely in the yeah. hardest rail turns. Yeah. For, for me personally, and I've also had quite a few guys say is the Viper feels buttery and Mm-hmm. You know, from chatting to, to many guys and getting feedback, how you feel connected to the foil. And that's, that, to me, is the best way to describe it because, for example, on the Hyper, especially as an um, intermediate foiler, <clears throat> I sometimes find that I'm following the foil. Whereas on the water, on the Viper, you just think, you know, turn left and it just follows you. You just feel really connected to the foil. You know, I don't have to try and steer it. I just think turn left and it goes left. I think turn right, it goes right. Mm-hmm. So it's very predictable, very predictable. Yep. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that, you know, there are foils that are capable of doing and this is a conversation I have with a couple of buddies all the time. It's like, there, there are foils that are capable of doing the most radical things, but yeah. if they are so nuanced and so in, yeah. in, there's so much instability in the rig, you're not actually going to get the most high performance things out of it where there are other foils where maybe you wouldn't be able to do, you know, 95% of what the most radical foil could do. You can do that, uh, but you can surf at that 95% you can push the foil. It's hundred percent all the time. So you're actually surfing much more radical on it because you can really trust everything that it's going to do. And and it it feels solid. And that actually lets style become a huge thing too, because I notice, like on foils that I'm not as comfortable on, there's so much extra balance movement happening in, in your body takes away aesthetic. As you, if you're a newcomer to the sport, and, you know, I've seen so many guys go out and buy, you know, really high aspect foils and they're trying to learn on these things. And I'm like, no, it's, it's not the right way of going about it. You, you need to take the small steps and work your way to the top. You can't go out and buy a high aspect foil and learn to, surf, you know, surf on it. Well, you can, but I don't recommend it. You know, it's not a pleasant way to start the sport. It's going to be extremely frustrating. And a lot of guys are learning that, you know, they're buying high aspect foils and a few weeks later you see them on Gumtree and Facebook and, because they've bought the wrong foil. So it's, I think to me, the Viper as a beginner's foil 
is, you know, I mean, this sounds a bit um, contradictory, but as a beginner's foil, I think it is phenomenal because it's so predictable. And even on the other side of the spectrum to advanced riders, it's also it's fantastic. So, you know, when I was chatting to Adam, this is like this foil ticks it all. And it does. It really does. And I'm not just trying to say that. It really does. Okay, for downwinging, it's not going to do it. But for learning to foil, it's phenomenal, really. And even to get out of the wind wing with it, it really is. It's just a really fun foil. It's, you know, they're, they're great, really, they are. I find the 150 incredibly efficient in little bump energy. You know, one of the reef breaks that we were surfing in Costa Rica a lot has, it's about a quarter mile, a little over, maybe three eighths of a mile out to the break. And yeah. On the 150 uh, Viper, I had no problem just riding little bumps, about a two-minute run back to the beach. And there were a lot of foils that I was testing down there that I could not do that on. So I was really impressed with that. I actually find that the efficiency of the 150 for me is the best. I get almost the same pump out of it as I get out of the 170, and you can crank turns, and then it's just a lot faster. and, And I like that's my favorite size in it. About three weeks ago, we had some really strong wind here. Now, I'm, I'm 103 kilos, right? Yep. And I don't ride anything under 210 on, with, with the wind wing just because it's, it's, it just becomes hard work. But anyway, this mate of mine, Gumby, has got a, a 150 Viper, and he's got quite a, a smaller board. It's an 85-liter board. So for my size, it's below my weight. But anyway, I couldn't believe that I could have – a session on a 150 at my weight, you know, flying a wind wing. And I just had so much fun on it. That's unreal. I, I, was, I, was, I was just, you know, so amazed because, I mean, the smallest foil that I ride normally is a 210. Mm-hmm. And here yeah, I'm riding around on a 150. So I was, yeah, pleasantly surprised. I'm, yeah, surprised by my, my own designs. All right. So let's go into something that I do not think is talked about enough in the sport. I know this is a technical podcast guys, but I don't get the opportunity to pick Cliffy's brain a lot. So this is a selfish one because I'm trying to learn as much as I can. So I apologize if there's anyone out there that thinks it's too technical. Fuses. And two things specifically, overall fuse length. And yeah. you know, there's been a... Tra- Adam and I talk all the time about dialing gear and we're kind of on this like riding a lot of the same stuff all the time. And, you know, just talking about, and I love that he nerds out so much too. And, you know, he's really liking longer fuses right now. I find in our surf, I tend to prefer, you know, about 65, 60 centimeter fuses. When you are designing a foil, and I think this is such an important thing for setup and tuning, which I'm about to do uh, a whole show for anyone listening on tuning. Cause I get so many questions after some of my last posts, I think it'll just be easier to do it all on a podcast. So I'm going to do that soon, but you know, from a 50 to a 60 to a 70 fuse to get the same feel, you're tuning the tail differently. Can you talk about the relationship between a longer fuse, which is going to need a little bit more, you know, negative angle for the tail and a shorter fuse and, and the efficiency that happens along the difference in fuse length when to get, you know, the same front foot feel that a lot of guys like, you're going to have to tune the tail a little bit more drastically. Yeah. So <clears throat> remember the, the purpose of the tail is to create stability. Right. Uh, so your fuselage is just a lever. So the tail is pushing downwards on the lever to stop the forward pitching moment of the front wing. Mm-hmm. So 
the longer your lever is, the less moment you need on it. So you need less force in there. So if you have a really long fuselage, you can put a really small tail on it. So by putting a small tail on, you have less drag. However, you also have more um, surface drag from the longer fuselage. So again, back to compromise. But ultimately, again, it boils down to what do you want and what do you want to do? I went also through a stage where I really like the short fuselage. When I'm riding uh, slow and doing a lot of turning and carving and that kind of stuff, I love a short fuselage. But uh, let's go for a toe session, and I hate the thing because I just feel I feel like I'm uh, out of control. So it boils down to what are you trying to do and what are the conditions and what do you like. It's the same as t- tail stabilizers. Tail stabilizers, no um, – um, your capability or you know your stability I don't like that loose feeling I like a bit of your stability on, on my tails and that's exactly this, what, what your fuselage does is it creates stability so as you said the longer the fuselage the less you can fly with a, a smaller tail you actually need uh, less incidence angle on your tail if you have a longer fuselage not more that's interesting because I generally tune for more angle on longer fuses that probably thinking it through probably has to do with the radius of turn more than, than the efficiency or balance that I want to have. So as I go longer and fuse, I add a little bit more angle of attack to the tail because I still want to wrap tight turns. And then you'll be increasing your front foot pressure. Yeah, exactly. That yeah. feel that I generally like. What do you think about distance? I have noticed a trend in foils recently to add distance between the mast and the front foil. You know, it just seems like subtly foils are creeping out a little bit farther in front. Can you talk about the importance of distance in the feel? Yeah, so the theory is the closer your mast is to your front wing, the more it wants to track. The further your mast is from your front wing, the looser the foil is. So if you've got a very high aspect foil, you want to push that distance a little bit bigger just so that the foil will turn easier. Okay. If you, if you have a smaller foil, then you can tend to shorten that distance a little bit. By that um, rationale, could you build a, you know, a pretty high aspect, incredibly efficient foil and then move it forward a little bit extra to get a more high performance surf foil out of something more efficient? At what point is the limit of that? You mean move it backwards to increase its turning capabilities? Don't know. So I haven't... closer to the mast is, is more turning or farther? You're further talking about moving the mast backwards. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So, We're so, saying the same thing. I was talking about moving the foil forward. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, yeah, the distance from the trailing edge of the front wing to the leading edge of the mast. That right. You're talking about that. Yeah, it's something that I haven't gone to extremes with it. You know, I've stuck to quite short distances. I haven't gone to really long distances, uh, you know, there because it also changes the whole dynamic of your board. You know, now your fin boxes are in the wrong place. You need to start shifting your fin boxes further back. So, you know, you, you don't want to place yourself outside of the market that your equipment is not compatible. So you don't want to go too great on that distance because then, you know, your foil is not going to work with 90% of the boards out there. This is what this is one of the problems that we had with with another brand. One of our distributors used to buy our two brands or this other brand, and they bought all their boards, and our foils didn't work on their boards because you couldn't push the foil far forward enough. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's also important to make sure that 
you're able to to move your foil you know on on the the fin boxes because that's super important if you're a rider that sticks your foil in the same place every time and you go and surf I highly recommend to to start playing with that distance, especially in different surf. You know, if you're riding big surf, move it back. Small surf, move it forward. It, it makes a massive difference. So, yeah, back to that distance. Yeah, the theory is the bigger that gap, the easier the foil turns. Interesting. But like I say, it's theory because to my mind it doesn't make sense because – to me, moving the mast further back is like, you know, if you put a, a fin in the longboard and you put it right at the back of the board, it's going to make yawing more difficult. You move your fin further forward, it's going to make the yawing easier. But like I say, that's the theory behind it. Well, what I have started to do and like the, the 1095 that I'm riding right now a lot, the way that I tune it, generally Takuma stuff likes to ride pretty far back in the box, but I like a more pivoty feel. So yes. I'm slamming it all the way forward. And on the no limits mass that I've been riding, you actually have bolts um, that are you know about an inch back from where normal bolts are. So I even get like an extra inch out of my box. And yes. then I'm tuning the tail with a plus shim for less lift to be able to handle that foil placement. And it loosens the whole thing up. It makes incredible. I agree hundred percent about, I think of it like a pivot. Like I like to kind of have a, a pivot and I like to be able to move my back foot behind the mast in certain turns, you know? And I think that right now, if anything, boards don't have boxes that are far enough forward. I mean, it's more often than not that I'm wishing I had an extra couple inches in boxes. And I know that, you know, the, the miner now said it about by four, four set it seven and a half off the tail, you know? Yeah. So way, way far forward compared to where most people are doing it. Yeah. I've had, um, customers drill two extra holes in their moss to move them further mm -hmm. forward. Yep. It makes such a big so, difference in, in pumping and, and turning, totally. you know, it's totally. less stable. You're not going to start out like that, but yes, yes. Highly recommended to, you know, to start experimenting with that if you haven't. Yeah. So, so another question, and this is something I've been kind of going back and forth and I design boards. And so I ride a bunch of different setups and it seems like it doesn't seem like it is that foils are built for different, you know, angles of attack out the box, different brands are using different angle of attack. So far as I am using base plate shims, you know, on pretty much everything. So it seems like there's not going to be a board that's going to fit every foil without base plate shims no. get the angles right. Do you think that there should be any standardization in the way things are happening? I think that it might stifle innovation, but you know, I'm in the new boards that I'm doing, I'm thinking about having two models to where, you know, if you're riding unifoil lift signature, all those kind of have a similar, you know, angle of attack, or if you're riding, you know, go foil Takuma, that would be a different, you know, rocker for those yes. boards. So you don't have to shim because I hate shimming, but, um, like, how do you think about that and how do you want those angles to work together? So this, this is a problem that I saw when I first started making surf oils. And that just because the majority of guys were retrofitting foils into surfboards, which had a tremendous amount of rear rocker. Right. So the first generation of unifoils all had a, an angled base. Because I could see all the other manufacturers had a, had a base at zero degrees, and you could see the the mast was sloping rearwards. 
And, uh, you know, I knew that when you're paddling this, you've got a tremendous amount of drag. When you're up on the foil, the, the nose of the board's in the air. It's like mm-hmm. facing to the sky. So the first um, generation of unifoils all had a degree of um, tilt in the base. But as the industry started to manufacture boards with flat bases, a, a lot of guys started flattening out that rear rocker. And they started to get to a point where they're, where they're mounting the fin boxes at zero. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, some, and, and that's when I changed the uniforms to meet industry standard, you know, put it that way, so that they'd be more compatible with more boards. So the Vipers, instead of having to use a shim, I don't know, did you try a shim on the Vipers? So the Others? Vipers I was riding on a board that I made specifically to not need shim. So no, I did not okay. need faceplate shim on it. So the Vipers have actually got a angle of incidence in the front wing. Okay. So you shouldn't need to shim it anyway. So th- this is one of the things that Adam was like, you know, he doesn't want to have to go and he, he wants something that's going to come out the box, going to fit on the average board and it's going to work. Yeah. So we put in a, a degree of incidence on, on the front wing. But a, I mean, as you know, it's you're not going to be able to make a board that's going to fit every foil out there. Some manufacturers uh, of foils, you're going to have to put a shim in. And others are going to work without a shim. So it's, and again, it's also down to each person's preference. You know, some guys like a little bit of the the front of the board being up a bit. I like a board that is is as neutral as possible. Definitely not with your front leg extended. That just feels terrible. So if if your front leg is extended, then you must shim. It makes a massive difference. Yeah. It's interesting because I've been going back and playing with, plate shims and working on these boards, like testing, you know, different shims and feels and trying to get that angle just perfect for what the setup's going to be. It's interesting how much that changes the feel of a foil. You know, if someone were to grab a foil and test it and, and not have it shimmed correctly, you yeah. could think a foil was terrible. That's actually brilliant just because of the plate, yes. shim, you know, yes. it's you know, I mean, it's terms. It's imagine putting a two inch uh, block of wood on the front of a skateboard. Right. Because that's exactly what it is. You know, you've got an elevation on, on one of your feet, either your front foot or your back foot. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine trying to ride a skateboard with one foot higher than the other. It's, it's going to have a dramatic effect on, on how you're going to ride. Yep. yep. To get that balance right makes a massive difference in, in everything, in foiling, in pumping. You know, so it's critical. And that's what I say to the guys is don't be scared to experiment. However, you can only start experimenting when you have a, a small degree of what the foil feels like because you don't know what it must feel like, especially if you're a beginner. Right. So once you're up and flying, you know, start start to experiment. Move the foil back. Take it out. See what does it feel like. Move the foil, foil forward. See what it feels like. Put in a naught degree. Put in a three degree you know, and, and mess around because what I like is not necessarily what you're going to like. Yep. Yeah. And it gets so granular too. I mean, I shim for conditions and for what I'm doing, you know, differently. Well, I'm the same. If I, if it's a crazy day, <clears throat> exactly as you say, if it's a high speed day, you've, you've got to tune your foil accordingly. You're not going to have a, a foil that's going to meet all conditions all of the time. Yeah. So what's on the horizon? What's what are you looking forward to over the next year? Looking forward to a yeah. break. Manufacturing headaches, man. But I mean, I, I think we're pretty much there. We've got a few projects that are in the making. 
but we really hit a, a huge slump this this past year. Yeah, it, it was it was terrible. It really it was. So we we were very excited with the the team that we have now at Unifall is is awesome. It's really great working there. We've got a really bunch of nice guys. So I'm super excited for, for this this coming year and for next year definitely. We've got a lot of new innovative stuff coming out. So yeah, very excited. Well, let me know if you ever want to design a foil. Cause I think that'd be about the, the most, fun thing. I can't think of anyone I'd rather do it with too, because I mean, you're basically the first foils that I, you know, they made memes about how much I loved them. <laughs> Would you be keen on doing it? What's that? Would you be keen on doing it? Yeah. I think it'd be insane to have your own stamp on a foil. Well, Is not it? even so much that just be a part of a process to. Yeah. That's what I mean. To, to yeah. have your own iterations and your own thoughts and your own yeah. something without the equipment to, to make a foil it's a very laborious task you know there's right. you can make your own foils but to make them accurate and to make them you know it's, it's, it's a lot of work it really is so but i mean if, if you're really keen on it obviously i can't guarantee that it's going to be manufactured you know or produced but if you're keen to experiment and, and i can take you through a few steps and we can sit down and have a chat about it and I can explain to you what the different things do and you know, we can mess around if you have Absolutely. Right? And yeah, I probably tested more foils than almost anybody out there too. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll, I'll get back to you. Let me just run it by the guys and yeah, let's, let's see what we can do. I'll, I'll, I'll post it. That would be amazing. Well, I think I'm going to, I, you know, back in the day when I used to sell stuff, usually tried to end a conversation as soon as you had the win. So pumping right now, it's like three to four occasional five foot out back and light offshore tides getting good. Yeah. So, but this has been an incredible conversation, Cliffy. Yeah, Thank it's you for awesome. back on and being so open about sharing. I know that's, uh, it's gotta Sorry, be. It's taken so long. I mean, it was what, about a year ago that you're like, Hey, when are you coming on the podcast? And I was like, well, as soon as I'm your falls really. One more. Um, I not take that long again. <laughs> I've got one more question for you. Yeah. So, you know, you came out with the high aspect and, and this is something I went through a little bit with surfboard stand-up surf design. And yeah. then you know, the high aspect and then watching the whole market kind of transform around that. How does that feel as a designer? And obviously it's, it's going to be the natural thing where everyone's going to go to lead that charge. And then, you know, like, do you feel proud? Do you, you know, like what's the sentiment now, a few years later? I mean, it, it is pretty cool. Make no mistake. It's, it's, you know, it was when I first made that first high aspect for, I was like, yeah, I don't think this is going to work. You know, I thought it was going to have a very high stall or very low stall speed, high stall speed mm-hmm. in that you wouldn't be able to ride it at a very low speed. And I was pleasantly surprised because you could come down to such a slow speed. And what it did was it opened up the whole speed range. You could ride this thing really slow. You could ride it on the smallest little bump. And only later on did we discover the, the, the pump ability of the floor that it was so easy to bump. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm glad I tried it. I was in between um, countries at the time and I only had one shot at doing it because I was borrowing a, a CNC machine. So 
you know, literally I had one shot at, at, at trying this foil and seeing if it's going to work. And yeah, it was, uh, it, it was a, a great sense of achievement. Well, and it's crazy that it's held up so well too. You know, I was riding. The, yeah. I mean, the, they, they, they're still, you know, what's it been now? It's, it's 2017. So where are we now? You know, three, four, five, going on five years later. And yep. it's still a phenomenal foil as a, as your first high aspect foil. It's not too difficult to ride. And the performance is still there. You know, it's, it, it, they are great foils. It's wicked fast. Too. I was riding the 150 the other day and, you know, I was hitting 23, 25 miles an hour in chest high surf on it. I mean, it's great. Well, I've got a surprise there as well, but you're going to have to wait. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem, That's the problem that, that, that um, when you come on a show like this, you get so excited about what you're working on, but you, you also have to be careful because you, you don't want to tell everyone because then everyone's like, when's that coming? When's that coming? And then you start rushing and exactly what happened with the Vipers, I'm not going to have that happen again. So... Yeah, but I can just say, watch the space. <laughs> Don't spoil it. Yeah, no stress there. I was, I was just joking, but that'd be amazing. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, listen, in, in all seriousness, I'll, um, I'll get back to you on that, um, on, on working on a little uh, collaboration. And yeah, yeah, you know, designing a foil is, like I say, it's a tremendous sense of accomplishment, you know, to have an influence and to, and to learn. That is, is, is one of my favorite things of being able to make these things, you know, to come up with that idea in your head and going, let's try it. You know, that's what I really enjoy about it. And then to uh, go into my workshop and sit and make it and try it and learn from the experience. Wow, how fun. Love it. Epic. Yeah. Well, Cliffy. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time. I learned a lot today. Uh, I hope everybody else did too. Um, yeah, yeah. It's going to be a good one. So, and go get some Very wind. Good. I know that you guys are thanking <laughs> there. Hey, thanks again. I really appreciate it. We'll chat soon. All right. So this is a unique situation. Um, Cliffy's back on the show. You guys are listening to this as one episode, but since the last time you heard us speaking, it's been about a week and a half. At the end of the last episode, I was joking around and suggested doing a foil together and Cliffy didn't hate on the idea immediately. Then we talked about it a little bit after the show and this brings us to part two. What's going on, Cliffy? Hey, how's it going, man? Good. Is this real? Oh, looking forward to it. It's uh, exciting. Yeah. So in the chats over the last week and a half, we thought there'd be a, a whole lot of value and fun to, yeah. to collaborate and do a foil together. Um, kind of a two-part journey. I mean, so Cliffy has ridiculous experience designing wings. I've tested about every piece of kit out there and have conditions out back that are probably very similar to what everyone else rides and with the show it would be a really cool uh project to kind of go through what it actually takes to build a foil design and then build and test and refine and yeah we decided to do it so i think i think i think what i like about this project is that you know the the previous project that we did with um adam bennis was was really good. It was, you know, a lot of learning, a lot of fun. Um, but that's on the on, on the on the high end, if I can put it that way. Whereas 
this project is more of the everyday type of foiler, I think. Um, you know, not everyone gets to ride around in massive waves and perfect conditions. So I think, you know, coming from, from your perspective and um, the conditions that you ride in, which, as you say, is, 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 uh, makes up a far majority of foilers, I think it's going to be really good. We just need to decide on a few things on 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 how how do we um, approach the project? You know, how do we uh, do we do it just as a as an information type project, or will we go? You know, what I mean, like like an, an uh, open source type project where we release files and for all the DIYs can make their own. Which uh, I'm like, yeah, that'd be cool, but at the same time. You know, most of the guys don't have the um, um, means to to go and make a foil. So, so that's you know the second option is is to actually um, go into full production and manufacture the foil. But you know, there's a lot of open ends that we will need to talk about and, and decide. You know, which which route do we go down? How do we go about it? Yeah, well, I'm frothy. I mean, I think that we don't need to commit to one of those roads yet. Yeah. I mean, let's keep yeah. it open for now and, and, and let's see where it goes. And, and, you know, let's also see what, what does your audience feel, you know, which, which way and, you know, maybe even put, put a few questions to, to, to the audience and see what they feel. Yeah. I think that's a good idea. I mean, I think that so, so a few, a few different thoughts here. One, I wouldn't want anything to be released unless we thought it was, really, really good. hundred percent. So, so, I mean, I think that goes without saying at the beginning, but I do have a whole lot of ideas after testing as much as I have tested on what would be optimal for our conditions. And I know where all the best wings have weak points for what, what we're doing here, which is, you know, one to four foot surf at seven to 10, 11 seconds. You know, I mean, that's, that's the majority of our conditions and you need a lot of efficiency because we, we like to do runners as well. And, um, we want to stay up on, on pump a long time. We're not getting a ton of speed from the waves. And so where the Viper is a brilliant wing and I absolutely love it in bigger surf, the, um, you know, it's, it's like, I want something a little bit more efficient for our, for our weaker surf, you know, for um, connecting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But something that's going to yeah. maybe turn a little bit better than say a hyper you know, sure. be a little bit more pockety. And so, so I see, I see holes in the market. And I think if you, if we could come up with something that can hit those, and I think that we, we can, I think it'd be super fun that I think there's gonna be a lot of people that want it, which would be a lot of fun too, to build something mm-hmm. and have people enjoy it. I love, that's what I love about building surfboards. Yeah. Um, there's also a, a ton of stuff that, that I'd also like to try. Um, maybe we, I can, you know, we can bounce some ideas and see if it's possible on, on trying some, some ideas that I've had in the back of my head for, for absolutely ages. But, um, it's, it's one thing to, to, to prototype it and, you know, make, um, small amounts. It's a totally different uh, kettle of fish to go to mass production. And the ideas that I have to mass produce are, I think they're going, to, they're going to have their own set of challenges. However, it's, it's again, it's something that we can we can try, 
um, the idea that I want to do is to send you two of the exact same wings um, with one that has these um, changes on and then just see what, what do you feel is the difference between the two. But um, I think I think you, you know, need to start putting pen to paper and start writing down um, the goals that we are um, trying to achieve. You know, going from you know from the small stuff, the size of the ring, um, shape of the ring, aspect ratio, blah blah blah, and then um, I'll sketch that up just to give you a, a, a reference to look at, and you know, just see is it is it the same sort of thing that you envision envisaging in your mind, nice. and then you know we'll take it from there. I think I think that's how we get started. Well, I have no shortage of ideas. <laughs> <laughs> we talked last time. I've already been drawing everything up. I think there's yeah. two different two different paths. The way that I'm seeing it is one is, um, you know, like if I'm thinking about our conditions and the efficiency that I'd like, that the foils that are close to the efficiency that I'd like are, you know, Lift 120, Cabrina 800, Takuma 1095, and I think that somewhere in between those sizes um there's something really special and and i think the trick is going to be if you think about like a cabrina 800 or a, or a lift 120 it's going to be getting a little bit more low end out of those mm. um you know or on the on the takuma side the having a be a little bit more deliberate where that foil can kind of tend to to fly all over get a little squirrely um having that foil surf a little bit better, which is, it's a good foil. I mean, all those foils I just mentioned, they're good foils. That's what we're talking about. them. But yeah. I think that there's some places where they could all be improved for what we do on them, you know? Sure. That's okay. cool. Yeah. Um, we start sketching and uh, we'll, we'll take it from there. Epic. All right. So anyone who's listening right now, do this for me. If you have ideas that you'd like us to consider because one of the, one of the cool things about doing this project is that we don't have to do it since we're going to be bringing, you know, I don't know if we're going to do periodic podcasts or how we're going to do that, but we're, we're going to, we're going to kind of include you guys in the process so that you know what is going on with um, design and then testing and how things feel and all that. But I'd also like input as to where you think foils could be improved and you know feel free to shoot cliffy or i a dm on instagram um or probably to the unifoil account too would probably be fine and yeah. and and let me know like what you guys think about you know areas of improvement or you know everything's a trade in foiling and, and i guess i'd like to also know where you think sacrifices should be made and what should be optimized because that'll be a, a big consideration in, in trying to figure out what we want to build and test. 100%. I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, it's, it's about ticking the boxes that are important to you. And like you say, you know, we all have different needs and wants in foils. Um, but, you know, with, with the direction in, in which foiling is going, um, I feel that the uh, ability of everyone is increasing and increasing and we need foils to to continue you know to um, nourish that ability and to continue 
um, pushing the boundaries. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's applying what, what, what people want and what people want to ride. Well, epic. You so, know, just, 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 just the whole, you know, everyone going to smaller and smaller and smaller foils. Yeah, I remember the first days when I rode a big foil and I was like, yo, this thing is so slow. You know, because I came from the small foil side. So for me, this is a bit different going to big foils. So, and once you've tasted small foils and the efficiency of it, it's, it's, it's just another world. It's, it's so awesome. You know, just that no friction, no drag, and just that glide. It, it's, you know, it's addictive. Something I'd like to test or at least model is mm. what happens to, say, um, a Viper if you make the thickness in the profile two thirds of what it is right now. I mean, how, cause I think about certain foils. I like surface area. I'm a bigger guy. I like surface area. I like something to push on, especially at slower speeds, but then I get frustrated when they're, they, they don't have the same efficiency top end. How much of that can you get back through thinning a foil or is it mostly aspect ratio? As, as, as you said earlier, it's a, it's a trade-off. Yeah. So there's, you, you give a bit here and you take a bit there. So if you go too thin in your profile, you know, immediately you suffer the consequences of stalling too easy. Um, too thick on the profile, too much drag. So it's, it's all about achieving that balance of where do you want to be. Um, so as you mentioned earlier with the, the, the conditions that you're going to be foiling in, you want to match the foil to that as close as possible. So, you know, choosing the right thickness profile, the right amount of camber, the right amount of lift is, is also, it's crucial. Mm -hmm. um, and then again, I, you know, I'll, I'll share screen with you and I'll show you um, choosing profiles, you know, what the difference in profiles does from the forward pitching moment to the lift, the drag, you know, and we'll just go through it and just explain, you know, all the different steps of, of choosing a profile. Killer. Well, I can't wait to get started. Um, so this was a cool, the, uh, the, the first podcast yeah. made about a, a week and a half so that after the podcast, Cliffy was like, hold on that. Let me, let me see if this is something that we could actually do. And then over the last week and a half, it, it's something we're going to do. And so we held, so we could get this little addendum and let's do it. Yeah. So stoked, man. Well, this is going to be a lot of fun. I'm, I'm excited to to learn I think it's, 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 it's going to take a bit of time. I mean, it's, it's not something that you do over a couple of weeks, you know, it's, uh, it's a few months. So yeah, it's, it's going to be a nice little journey and hopefully everyone enjoys it. Oh, I will. All right, Cliffy. Thank you. I appreciate you cool. coming back on to do this. I'm super stoked. And awesome, anybody out there, hit me up, hit Cliffy up with ideas, thoughts, suggestions, all of that good stuff. And yeah, epic. Cool. This is the Progression Project Podcast, deconstructing foiling, flow, and the learning process with your host, Eric Antonsen.